Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through to 39. Call to remembrance the former days. The Apostle Paul is giving a marvelous glance to us of the history of the believers. He's asking them to remember the former days, the days after they were converted. He's not only calling them to remembrance, he's he's helping them to remember. He reminds them because he knew their history. He is acquainted with many of these believers that he is preaching to. He knows them. He knows how they were saved. He knows what it was like for them in the early days of their Christianity. And he's actually reminding them of the former days. Verse 32, called to remembrance of former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. So he's bringing up the history. We shouldn't let history slip. We have to study history. We have to remember history. The experiences of the past, not only general history, but our own history. That experience that God has brought us through. We cannot let these things slip. We have to recall the past. And God is often telling us to do this. Take heed to thyself. Keep thy soul diligently. Lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen. And lest they depart from thy heart. Don't let those things slip that your eyes saw. Don't let those things depart that God showed you. That God brought you through. He brought you through for a purpose. And one of the purposes is that you will remember the lessons learned in that experience. So we have to recall the past. Our Christian experience. There are of course things in the past that we ought not to focus on too much or in too great detail. There are things that we are not to recall in the sense that we recall them with a desire to go back to them. And that's sinful things. We shouldn't look back and recall history and, oh, that experience, that sinful experience, as if you would want to live it again, as if you would want to go back to it. The Bible forbids that kind of recall. And so the Bible says, forgetting those things that are behind those things that the Lord has saved you from, that old life, that old sinful pleasures, you forget all about that. Don't you ever look back to them again. Don't you ever want to go back to them at all. So there are things that we, we don't recall with any kind of delight or any kind of pleasure. Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the ply and looking back. You know, looking back to the past. Oh, I miss that. I miss that old life. You remember Lot's wife? She looked back. She recalled the past with that kind of affection of heart. As it turned into a pillar of salt, she got hardened. And if we look back with that kind of, you know, relish on the sinful past, well, that's what will happen in our hearts. We'll become hardened. And we'll lose out with God. So the Lord forbids that. That kind of recall. Looking on the follies of the unconverted life with some kind of, like a sweet in your mouth. No, God forbid. But we are to remember the Christian experience, what the Lord has taught us, call to remembrance of former days. You know, this is often a preacher's device. It's quite interesting in the Bible how often preachers do this, call to remembrance, bring up the past. 
If you read Peter's epistles, you'll find that he's doing this. In fact, it was one of the purposes why he wrote his epistle. He says, I will not be negligent to put you in remembrance of these things. He's a rememberer. He's bringing up the past. He's recalling for them things that they should not forget. I think it means as long as I am in this tabernacle, as long as I am alive, as long as I have strength, I'm going to stir you up to remembrance. Moreover, I will endeavor even that ye may be able, after I'm dead and gone, to have these things always in remembrance. So preachers are always doing that, always recalling things, bringing up the past, always reminding you where God has led you, how God has brought you, what God did to you in the past, to encourage you. I will put you in remembrance, Jude said. And this is what the apostle is doing, call to remembrance the former days. The days of blessing. The days when the Lord used you. The days when the Lord was with you. Call to remembrance. So it's a very important device of the preacher to do that and to use that tool in his preaching and that's what Paul is actually doing now remember how you went on with God remember how you suffered for him you remembered how it was tough but you endured and you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods do you remember all of that do you remember how you were filled with joy and gladness do you remember how you had his presence didn't we sing tonight Where is the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? He's remembering the past blessings. He's remembering the past experiences as if to say, I'm missing that. I'm not having that now. So he, he recalls it. And then he goes on and says, What peaceful hours I once enjoyed How sweet their memory still. But they have left an aching void. This world can never fill. Oh, I had great joy then. I remember that. I remember how the Lord was so close then. But not now. Not today. Why? There's something not right. And it stirs us up. And it makes us heart search. And it makes us to seek the Lord. So the calling up of the past is a very important preacher's device. And it should be a very important device in your life personally to stir up your own heart. So Paul then, he brings them back to the past, the former days, as he calls it, and he brings them back to a particular point in the former days. What does he say here? In which after you were illuminated. So he's going back to their conversion and particularly after their conversion. He doesn't go back before conversion. He doesn't go back to the days when they were unsaved. But he says, when you were illuminated and after that. Now sometimes he does go back to the unsaved days. You'll find that in some of his epistles. Remember that ye being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh. And sometimes he recalls his own past. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I persecuted the church of God. I was hurtful and injurious. But I obtained mercy. So sometimes he goes beyond his conversion. But not here. He just goes to after you were illuminated. After you become a Christian. That's as far as he he goes back. 
And that's because he wants them to remember how they felt the Lord's closeness and how they were so joyful and how they were going on so well with God then. And there was, there was no danger of backsliding and turning away from him. So he, he's bringing them back to the infancy of their Christian experience when they were joyful and glad and on fire for God. Now notice the description of conversion. What does he call conversion? After you were illuminated. Recall your illumination. Recall the Christian experience whenever you were saved and converted. That's what being saved is. It's being illuminated. It's as radical as that. When it happens, you know it. There's no uncertainty about it. Once was blind, now you see. Illuminated. You know, you go into a room, it's dark. You don't see anything. You don't know anything. You don't know how big the room is. You don't know what's in the room. The night goes on. You don't forget that. It all shone. It all become clear. You saw. Conversion is illumination. Conversion is coming out of the darkness into the light. Conversion is being blind and then beginning to see. And it only happens once. You remember how we looked at that verse in Hebrews 6 verse 4? It's impossible for those who were once enlightened. It can't happen again. You were once enlightened and there's no second enlightenment. Once. Once you were saved. Once you were born again. Once you tasted of the heavenly gift. Once you become partakers of the Holy Spirit in the experience of conversion. Once. Illuminated. Conversion is from blindness to seeing. Conversion is when your eyes are turned from darkness to light. From the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. From Satan to God. From the blackness of darkness, the darkness characterized by the devil, to the glorious light characterized by God and his son Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Illuminated. You're brought from one into the kingdom of light. Illuminated. It's unforgettable. It's powerful. And new Christians, in olden times, they were called the enlightened ones. The illuminated. As Paul said to the Ephesians, you were once darkness, but now, in the Lord, you're light. Not only illuminated, but illuminating. Not only has the light shone into you, the light is coming out of you. You're a light now, the light of the world. You're bright for God. That's a Christian. And a Christian is one who comes to see. And it's quite an experience. Because you see yourself, you see your heart, you see you're a sinner. You realize the uncleanness within. You're illuminated and you see the sin. You're illuminated and you see the Lord. And you see the glory of God. And you see something of the greatness of God. And you see the Savior. The light of the world. And you see your need of a Savior. And you see the importance of the Word of God. And you see the need for faith and the need for repentance. And you come to see the truth of God and to understand the truth of God. It all dawns on you. It all shines upon you. Now you don't know everything perfectly. You don't see everything perfectly. And we see more and more. And we have more and more light. But conversion is darkness to light. And that's radical. 
Sanctification is getting brighter and more light and a more fullness of light. It's not just as radical, but as glorious too. But that coming out of the darkness into the light is wonderful. And that's conversion. That's being saved. And Paul is referring to that after you were illuminated. And so the Christian then is one who starts out on the path of seeing. Thy word is a lamp under my feet and the light under my path. He's not in the darkness anymore. You're the children of light. Walk in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ goes on cleansing us. We're in this realm of the light now. Illuminated. And you love the light, child of God, and you stay in the light, and you study the word in the light, and never leave the light. The people that walked in darkness, that was us before conversion. Now we have seen a light. I am coming a light into the world, Jesus says, whosoever believeth in me shall not walk in darkness. Illuminated. The apostle points out then you're, you're illuminated, and you're on a path of light, and in light. But then he points out, there's not only light, there's trouble, there's trials, there's afflictions, there's a fight, there's a battle. Because what does he say here? After ye were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. So the new path is a path of suffering. Some people think, oh, whenever I'm saved... You get saved, and some preachers tell people this, if you get saved, that's it. Your problems will be all over. It'll be a bed of roses. Life will be wonderful. You'll have no more troubles. That's a lie. Whenever you stand on the path of light, you immediately become an object of the kingdom of darkness, attacking you. It's a war. Whenever you leave Satan's kingdom and depart from the darkness, you are followed after. You are opposed. And following Jesus Christ, you set yourself up in war against the devil, against the world, against the flesh, and against sin. After you are illuminated, ye endured a great fight. That's the way it is for every Christian. The Christian life is a fight. It's a battle. It's difficult, and it's full of trials and tribulations. And there's no time between conversion and persecution. As soon as you're illuminated and you begin to shine, the devil attacks you. There's no time space between them. You endure a great fight. And this is true for every Christian. You enter a fight. Whenever you get converted, you enter into the arena of battle. You enter into the war field. You don't go straight to heaven. But in this world, the new light instantly becomes an object of Satan's assault. You know like those moths. You know there's a light and the moths. They're drawn to the light. And they hit the light. And they bang into the light. And, and, and the devil's like that. A light shining. And he bangs into it. And he attacks it. And he assaults He wants to put it out. That's how it is. You become attacked by the devil and by the world. Before conversion, there was no such a fight. You were bedfellows with the world. You got on well with the world. You got on well with sin. You got on well with the flesh. You got on well with Satan. All was friendly and all was quiet and all was great. Undisturbed in your sin. 
But the moment you repented and believed the gospel, then the warfare commenced. Because then the world loved you and the world didn't bother you, but you, you were in arms together. But now you broke away. You broke away from the world. You're shining now upon the world. You're making them feel uncomfortable. You're disturbing them. A great fight. A great fight. Remember that. Remember that opposition. Remember that warfare. This is what the apostle is saying. Call it to remembrance. Light and darkness. Battle. You begin this warfare that God has against the darkness. You, you come onto God's side. And you in this battle where the sanity is between God and the serpent. Do you remember whenever Israel came out of Egypt? And they weren't, weren't long out of Egypt. They were just, just into the wilderness. And they were drinking of the water of life. They were drinking from the wells of salvation. Who came along? The Amalekites. And the Amalekites fought with them. The Amalek came and he fought with Israel at Ramadan. There was a warfare. There was a struggle. There was a man of God had to pray and intercede. There was a battle. There was a strength. And you remember God kept reminding them of it. He says, remember. Paul's just doing what God does. Remember the former days. Remember the strife. Remember the battle. And God says, remember what Amalek did unto you. Whenever you came forth out of Egypt, how he met you by the way, you were just out of the land of the, the darkness. You just got into the light. And you remember, there he was, he met you. As quick as that. You'd just been redeemed, you'd just been saved, you'd just been brought out of the bondage, and there he was, Amalek, he was waiting for you. He was there. It was as quick as that. This is what Paul is referring to. Remember the former days after you were illuminated? Amalek was waiting. There was a great fight of afflictions. So this is what the apostle is saying. Well, there's no time between conversion and the warfare starting. It's as instant as that. You remember that vision we studied in the book of the Revelation? That there was a woman. She was to bring forth a child. It's Christ. The Christ child. And the dragon, he's waiting. He's ready there to get in straight away. As soon as the light of the world comes in, he's ready to pounce. And that happened. Christ was born into the world, the light of the world. Herod, raised up Herod, slaughter of the innocents. Get, get Christ, get Jesus, put out the light quick. That's how Satan works. As soon as Christ came into the world, he pounced to devour her child as soon as he was born. And that's the way it is with Christians. As soon as they're born again, as soon as they get new life, as soon as they begin to shine for God, he pounces. You maybe remember that. You recall that. When it was hard. And when your friends left you. And when they began to say things about you. And reproached you. And tempted you again with the drink. Ah, oh, come on. Come on to the pub. And then they run you down and you didn't. You remember that. Don't forget that. Don't forget how you endured it. Don't forget how you suffered it. Don't forget. You remember whenever Jesus was baptized. It's like our baptism. You know you're baptized. The new life begins. You're a Christian now in, in the light. Whenever Jesus was baptized. What happened? 
40 days in the wilderness, tempted of Satan. There was no time span between his baptism and the 40 days temptation. It was quick as that. He endured a great fight of afflictions after his baptism. And it is with every Christian. It's, it's the same. And you have to recall that. Are you going to go back now? Are you going to leave the Lord now? Are you going to give up now whenever you endured all of that? When you were first illuminated? This is what the apostle is saying. Notice verse 32. It was a great fight of afflictions. It's not an easy fight. It's not a late fight. It's not a simple fight. It's a great fight of afflictions. What does the apostle mean by great? Well, he could be thinking of the number. Plenty of battles, plenty of troubles, plenty of temptations. He could be thinking of the quantity. He could be thinking of the size, the weight of the salt. He could be thinking of the intensity. He could be thinking of the time span, a great time. Went on for days, days after days, like 40 days for Jesus in the wilderness. Went on for years. It hasn't ended yet. It's a great fight. It goes on all your life. It goes on to the day you die. You don't stop battling till the day you die. You're battling the devil all the time. It's a fight that doesn't end until you die. It goes on and on, year after year. You're always having to battle the flesh. You're always having to battle Satan. A timeless fight. No let up. And that's why the Christians provide it with the Christian armor, you know. You know, the Lord doesn't give the Christian armor just as ornamental. You know, the way some people run about with their swords and their wee ornaments, you know, of military might. And, you know, they're not practical. They don't use them. They're just ornamental. Ceremonial. Well, the Lord didn't give us ceremonial Christian armor. He didn't give us symbolic Christian armor. He gave us practical Christian armor that has to be put on, that has to be used. And so endure hardness as a good soldier. And put on the whole armor of God, he says. The nights far spent, the days at hand, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. That's what you have to do as a Christian. That's what you did the day you were saved. You cast off the darkness, you embrace the light, you have to get the armor on, and you're to do that every day. Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And God has provided us with that in recognition that the warfare between light and darkness never ceases. A great fight of afflictions. Look at how he says you endured, what, what, how you suffered. Some of it you suffered directly. Verse 33, partly. Whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions. So part of the fight was firsthand. You were a gazing stock. They mocked you. They reproached you. They reviled you. They called you names. They talked about you and they even told it to your face. You became the off-scarring. You were a gazing stock. Now, it's not the age of martyrs yet. In fact, the apostle goes on there and says in chapter 12, verse 4, you have not yet resisted on the blood striving against sin. There are not too many martyrs yet. Yes, Stephen was martyred. Uh, there was James. There was one or two other martyrs. But it wasn't the age of Nero yet. It wasn't the age of Christians being crucified all over the place yet. It wasn't that age yet. But they were being mocked. They were being reproached. They were being the gazing stock. They were suffering all kinds of persecution. They were losing their work. They were being put out of the synagogues. They were not getting any trade from the people. They were being robbed and their houses were being broken into and all the rest. 
but generally their lives were preserved at this early stage of Christianity. And we have to bear the reproach. Because whenever we get saved, we go outside the camp and there's a reproach about that. We'll leave the world behind us. We'll leave our friends behind us. We don't do what they do anymore. And there's a reproach. There's a vow. Don't forget that. Surely you're not going to give up on the Lord now when you've gone through that for years. Why would you give up on the Lord now? Why would you backslide now when you were out and out for God after you were saved? Don't give up now. Remember what you were like in those former days. So don't lose out with God. Then goes on to describe uh, some of the sufferings in the next chapter. Verses 36. How the Old Testament saints suffered. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were slain. They wandered about in the sheepskins and goatskins. And we'll come to that in, in time, God willing. So there's all this suffering. But there's also second-hand suffering. Because what does the apostle say here? Partly, why she were made a gazing stock. But also partly, why she became companions of them that were so used. So maybe you didn't suffer so much yourself. But you become friends of people who suffered. Maybe it was your children. Whenever they become Christians, they suffered. And you saw it and you felt it. Maybe it was a great believer, a great friend of yours and... He lost his job because he became become a Christian. Or he was put out of the family because he became become a Christian. And the family didn't want to know him. Maybe he was a Catholic and the Lord saved him and he was put out of the house. And he was your friend. And you, you were with him the whole time up to his conversion. And you saw that. And you felt that when he was put out of the house. You felt that when he suffered. You suffered with him. And so sometimes we're suffering second hand whenever we see it in our brethren and sisters. Or maybe it was in their minister. Oh, the poor minister, he has to go through that. He has to bear the brunt. He has to, the one who gets the assault. He is the one, as it were, gets all the reproaches in the paper, whatever. And you feel that. You're not getting it directly yourself, but because you're seeing it happening, maybe your minister or some other Christian brother or sister, you feel that. It's kind of second hand, but you still suffer. It's still part of the fight. We're in the same army. We're warriors together. If one member suffers, they all suffer. And so it may be first-hand or second-hand, but it comes to the same thing. This great fight, this great battle. And notice the prominence of joy in all of this. Because what does the apostle say there? You had compassion of me and my bones, and you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. So this is an amazing thing. You see, the thing that characterized the early Christians was joy. They had great joy. Unspeakable joy, the Bible calls it. Whom not, having not seen your love, though you don't see him, you're rejoicing. You have a joy unspeakable and full of glory. The early Christians had joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. In that order too, joy's high up there in the Christian experience. You have this gladness when you know the Lord. You have this gladness when you've just been saved. You have this gladness when you've been delivered from the world and from sin. Now, Sometimes it goes and departs as the years go on. But that new birth, that new experience, that joy, that joy of the Lord. These early Christians had that. It continued with them. And whenever their goods were spoiled, they took their goods, they spoiled their goods, they took it joyfully. They didn't lose their joy. 
When they lost their goods. You see, some people have their joy all wrapped up in their goods. It's all wrapped up in their substance. You take that away, their joy goes. That's it. Out the window with the goods. But not a Christian. He has his joy in the Lord. He has his joy in God. Can't take that away from him. And to take away his goods, he still has his joy. The joy of the Lord. The joy of everlasting life. And so they were robbed, they were boycotted. Well, not buy your goods anymore. And that's the same as robbing them. You know, not supporting them, not contributing, not buying their goods. So they might as well rob them. It's the same thing. It all amounts to it. Because you're Christians, we'll boycott you. Because you're Christians, we'll not support you. Because you're Christians, we'll we take your goods. We'll take your profits. We'll go somewhere else. This boycotting. Suffering that's for Christ. Did they get depressed? Did they give up the faith? Did they say, I'm leaving the Lord now? No. They took it joyfully. And they were brought closer to God through it all. And they knew the Lord better in it. Too. All these cruel instruments of affliction. And no matter how fierce the trials were, no matter how great the fight of afflictions were, they took it joyfully. None of that interfered with their joy. None of it. And that was a great characteristic of the early church. Rejoicing in the Lord always. Worshipping God in the Spirit and rejoicing in Christ Jesus. Are you still rejoicing in Christ? Are you still rejoicing in the Lord? I know this has happened in your life. I know you've lost this. I know this has gone out of your life. You missed that. But you still have the Lord. You can still rejoice in the Saviour. And you ought to do so. Always. Wherein you greatly rejoice, the apostle said. And so the strife and all of that in verses 32 and following, and still they joy in God. What did the Lord say? Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice! Be exceeding glad, he said. For great is your reward in heaven. And you remember the early Christians, they departed from the persecutors rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. What did James say? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into trials and temptations. So Paul reminds them of all of this. Took your goods, being taken away joyfully. And you're going to leave the Lord now? And you're going to go back now to the temple? Back to Judaism? Back to the world? Surely not. Do you want to give up up all and that all so easily? Do you want all that service, all that labor, all those great fights of affliction to be all in vain? Cast not away therefore your confidence, he says, verse 35, which have great recompense of reward. Now notice the ground of their joy. What does he say there in verse 34? You took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. How how could they do this? Knowing in yourselves. They knew something. They had a conviction in their heart. No matter what they took away, they had this conviction in their heart that they had in heaven a better substance. There's goods there can't be taken away. There's things there that we're going to enjoy in eternity that moths and thieves and persecutors cannot break through to take And to steal away. There's treasure laid up in heaven. And they rejoice because of that. They were looking at the heavenly substance. 
not the earthly substance. You see, we get too much taken up with the earthly substance. That's the problem with our Christianity today. That's why we're weak Christians. We're too materialistically minded. We're not thinking enough about the substance in heaven, the substance above. And so these early Christians, they had this assurance that in heaven they had a better and enduring substance. That's what the text says. So the going of these material goods was nothing in comparison to that. They had this assurance. And this assurance gave them joy. Have you assurance? Have you assurance of heaven? Have you assurance of being with the Lord? Have you assurance of being in the place where there's no sin? Where there's no pain? Where there's no tears? Where there's no agony? Where there's no warfare? Where there's no Satan? Have you assurance of being with the Lord forever and ever? And it's going to be wonderful to be with the Lord. That enduring substance with Christ. What does anything on earth matter? If you have the assurance of that. That's everything. That's how these early Christians were. That's how they thought. And they had it in their heart. Knowing in your heart. Knowing in yourselves. Don't cast away then your confidence. Why would you do that? You have this reward and glory. You've suffered so much already. You've spent years in faithfulness to Christ, standing up for Christ. Why would you give up on it now? And now you need something else. Verse 36. You have need of patience. Joy is not enough. As wonderful as it is, it's not enough to carry you through. You need endurance. You need the grace of patience, and that's just endurance. Stickability. The ability to go on. The ability to continue in the faith. The ability to continue to cast hold of the promises and to cast hold of the faith and of Christ and to go on no matter what. Endure. Don't give it all up. Don't, as he says, cast it away. You know, cast it away like a piece of rubbish. That's something that's not very important. Have you gone through all of this suffering from the day you were saved just to cast it away now? Don't do that. You have to go on. You have to do the will of God to the end. After you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. You see, you don't get the substance in heaven until the end. You have to endure to the end. You have to continue to the end. You have to go on. You have to have the endurance. And it's not long till the end. Because what does he say there in verse 37? Just a little while. That's all. It's not an eternity. It's not eternity you have to wait. It's just a little while. It's just a few years maybe. Just a few days. It's not a long time. Just a little while. And he that will come. He that's coming will come. He won't tarry. The Lord's not tarrying. It's near the end. You're near the grave. You haven't long to go. Surely you can continue on. Until the end, when it's near and couldn't be far away. How long have we got left to live? How many years have we really got? All the bulk of it has passed. We haven't long to go. So just continue. Just carry on until the end. Verse 38, the just shall live by faith. That's how a Christian lives. By faith every day. He lives every day by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. The Lord's saying to you tonight, I don't have a pleasure if you go back. 
I don't have pleasure in you if you're going to leave and to go back to the old ways. That's not pleasing to me. Do you not hear the Lord saying that to you tonight? Don't be going back. Don't be leaving the Lord. Don't be leaving the work. No, don't be going back. And then he says, having this confidence in his own heart, we are not of them that draw back onto perdition. You see, true Christians don't go back. False professors do. People who were never truly illuminated do. But the illuminated, the truly saved, we are not of them that draw back. But we are of them that believe to the saving of the soul at the end. To, to the endurance to the end when the Lord comes back again. We have this faith that endures. What kind of faith is that? The next chapter tells us. Paul brings us on to have a look at this faith that endures. That believes God. But it's only a short time, congregation. So don't draw back, child of God. Don't be giving up. Keep living by faith. Keep believing in Christ. Keep trusting in Christ. Don't cast away your faith in the Lord. However difficult it is. However great the fight. However many the trials. Don't cast it away. Continue. Keep on. Believing. In Jesus Christ. 